passage that Peter will be speaking to us tonight. It's Numbers 23, uh, verses 19 to 24. And uh, just a little bit of background. Uh, Balak, the king of Moab, uh, is asking a man called Balaam to curse the Israelites. And God is saying no to, to that request. And so in verse 19, Balaam says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob. Nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. And the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob. No divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold a people as a lioness it rises up and as a lion it it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please will you turn to where he was just read to us from Numbers chapter 23. Um, I read this to us uh, a month ago. uh, And I, I gave, I trust, a full background for it. And uh, I don't think it's appropriate to go through all of that again. He was just mentioned that here is Balaam bringing a, uh, a prophecy. Balaam brings four prophecies, four oracles, uh, they're called. Um, he's been asked to put a curse on Israel. He's up on top of a mountain and he's been asked to bring a curse. But God has constrained him. And God speaks these wonderful prophecies through uh, Balaam about the nation of Israel, about his people. But these also speak to us. Uh, Last time uh, we looked at verse 21, we're looking at that again. Last time I spoke to you about the first part of that verse. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Uh, So reads the New King James. Uh, The ESV is slightly different. I'm preaching from a, uh, a New King James. Well, I went through all that, and we we looked at the matter of the blood, that when when God looks at us, at every human being in the world, he sees either the person himself, or else he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. It's one or the other. That's for every human being. Well, we've dealt with that. And in some respects, that can, might be seen as as, as to put the negative, that when God sees the blood on you, he passes over. And there might be a sense in which we can think, well, he passes by. Um, we got the tick against our name. All right, you're in. And that's nice. And maybe it just stops there. But you see, it doesn't. And this evening, we're looking at the second part of this verse. And the second part, and I think your ESV says the same as uh, the New King James. The Lord his God is with him. And the shout of a king is among them. And that's what we're considering this evening. The shout of a king is among them. 
That's what we will ponder. And I have three heads, three headings. King, shout, among. First of all, king. We read here, the Lord his God is with him and the shout of a king. Why a king? Where does this come from? This is new for Israel. Israel doesn't have a king. God they know about. Sort of. Um, they had heard God speaking to them from the top of Mount Sinai when they came out of Egypt and, and Israel led them to the mountain. And they, they heard the voice of God speaking to them. And they were terrified. So God they know something about. But what's this about a king? Israel never had a king. After all, the first, well, do we call him an Israelite? And Abraham is the father of the Jews. Abraham was not a king. He knew about kings. Uh, God took him into Canaan. Um, there were kings around there, pagan kings. Um, Abraham knew about them. Abraham he fought them. Uh, if you remember, uh, Hugh took us through this in Genesis. There, there, there was a, a, a group of kings who came together in the confederation to fight against Sodom, Kedileomer, and four other kings. It was a huge confederation, massive armies. And Abraham went out against them with his 317 chosen servants. <laughs> and he handled them. Amazing. He defeated five kings, but he wasn't a king. And he wasn't made a king. He never considered himself to be king. God was his God. He worshipped God. Direct relationship through. There's no in-between. And then his son Isaac. Isaac was never called a king. His son Jacob. Jacob, father of the tribes, you know, the, the 12 tribes. He wasn't a king. Nobody considered him a king. And then the, uh, the Israelites come down into Egypt. Now, Egypt had a king, Pharaoh, uh, and things went well for a while. And then it got very tough because Pharaoh of Egypt to enslave them. And well, you know about that. So they knew about kings. But the Israelites didn't have a king of their own. So when God says here, uh, the Lord his God is with them and the shout of a king... Well, who's this? It's not Moses. Moses wasn't their king. Moses is their judge. God has appointed him. Now, Moses, we could say Moses had been trained up for kingship because Moses had been a prince in Egypt. Do you remember? Uh, and that he was at the court of Egypt, uh, trained up there until about the age of 40. And then, well, you remember the story. He had to flee from Egypt and he went into Midian. But he never considered himself a king. And when he's brought back to Israel, he's not their king. He's been told by God to lead them out. He's leading them under God, but he's not a king. So why here does God say that there's the shout of a king? They haven't got one. Or do they? Well, you and I can make a good guess at who it really is. Um, there's no talk here in the book of Numbers of Kings. We do get a mention of this, uh, 
in, in the next book in Deuteronomy. God did not have a plan for them to have a human king at this stage, but he knows that in the future they're going to choose one. So a quick dip into the next book, into Deuteronomy, and let's see what God says here in chapter 17. It's not that God is saying they should have a king, but look at what uh, Moses says to the people in Deuteronomy 17 and verse 14, just this. God, Moses says on behalf of God, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and say, you will say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Why would they do that? After all, if God has brought them into the promised land, what do they need a king for? So it isn't that God is saying this is a good idea, but he is saying you're going to do this. And he then also gives them instructions about what the king should do and shouldn't do. The king should not go down to Egypt and get lots of horses. Um, The king should not stack up big time in gold and silver. The king should beware idolatry and not take many wives. So let's consider how Israel gets on with kings. They don't have them for a long time. Um, You know that uh, Joshua leads them into the promised land. He's never called a king. Joshua fights a lot of kings. Joshua defeated dozens of kings. It's, It's a remarkable story to read. But he wasn't their king, never claimed to be, wasn't called king. And then after him... There are other rulers. These are judges. God sets these men as judges whom he appoints to judge Israel, to hear from God and to tell them how to live. And after uh, after Joshua, uh, there are a number of other judges, and we read about those in the book of Judges, and that's a pretty grim time. I mean, mostly they're a motley bunch. Um, God leaves enemies in the promised land. The people get into idolatry. A judge is raised up under God. He empowers the judge. They defeat the enemy. Then back to square one again. And this goes on pretty dismally for about four centuries. And then we come to, well, who's going to be the last judge? It's the prophet Samuel. And you'll know about Samuel. And it's during Samuel's time as judge that the people say, what we've just read about there in Deuteronomy. Give us a king, just like all the other nations around us. It's not God's great good plan at this stage. And Samuel was troubled by this, and he goes to God, well, look, the people are asking for a king. And God says, give them a king. It's not you they've rejected, it's me. Well, God gives them the king, and it's Saul. Doesn't go well, does it? And then after Saul, we've got David. Now, God loved David, and we all love the story of David. It's wonderful. It's such an encouragement. Here's a a man with feet of clay. He makes mistakes, but God loved him wonderfully. God blessed him, and he's... He is set up as the king of Israel, an imperfect one, but God blessed him and loved him, and it's wonderful. And that's about it, really, for kings of Israel, because his son, Solomon, 
one of the wisest men in the world, I would say to you was an, a monumental disaster. He wrote a lot of scripture. Solomon was one of the wisest men. God enabled him. He wrote the Song of Solomon. He wrote Ecclesiastes. He wrote most of the book of Proverbs. But he did what God has said here in Deuteronomy kings shouldn't do. He went off to Egypt and everywhere else to get horses and chariots and so forth. He filled up Jerusalem with gold and silver in his own palace. There weren't even articles made of silver. And as for women, well, you know, 700 wives, 300 concubines, and they did with him what God had said they'd do. They will lead your heart astray. He went into idolatry. He put up uh, uh, idols to Chemosh, to Molech, to Asherah. He completely lost the plot. God was furious with this king. He didn't destroy Solomon for the sake of David, for the memory of David's name. But he brought the prophecy in Solomon's own lifetime that when you die, this nation will be ripped in two. Ten tribes will be torn from the nation. And that's what happened when Solomon died. You know, there's a division. The northern nation of Israel, ten tribes up there, and then there's... Uh, Judah in Jerusalem with Levites. And that's a mess. And with the northern kingdom, they have a, num a number of kings. They're all dreadful. In the southern kingdom, a couple of kings I think we could give a good report to. To some extent, Hezekiah was pretty good. And Uzziah was good for a time until Uzziah decided to go into the temple and then um, offer sacrifice, and that was the end of him. He got leprosy, so goodbye to him. Um, Josiah, Josiah was a, a great king for a while, very zealous for the Lord, wonderful. And then he decides in his own strength to go and fight Pharaoh, so that was goodbye to him. And after that, that was pretty well finished. Along come the Babylonians, and they destroyed Jerusalem. Kings go into, uh, into exile. And that's that. Israel doesn't have a good record with kings. And then they come back from the exile, and then you've got that period come up until <clears throat> the time when Jesus is born. And then we've got, uh, they, at that time, they've, we've got Herods. There were two or three Herods, and they were all shocking people. And then there's a king who's born and of course we know about that, don't we, from Matthew. His name is Jesus. He was born to be a king. You remember that the Magi came. These foreigners, they come to Jerusalem and they come to the king and the priest. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Oh. Who? What? It was a bit of a fright for Herod. King, God is raising up his own king, the one true king. Well, then there's Jesus, the one true, real, great king. Not born for pomp and splendor and majesty, as all other kings in the world want. And he grows up in Nazareth. And what is this? 
king do in his apprenticeship? Well, most of his adult life, he's a carpenter in Nazareth. A sort of backwater town, really. What's he doing? Well, we're not told. I guess he's making tables and chairs. A king. And then at the age of 30, he's called by God. And then, you know, from there, he comes down the Jordan. He's baptized. God the Father speaks audibly. This is my son. In him I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. You've got the Trinity there. And then he's into his ministry. And what does this king do? He doesn't go and take over in Jerusalem. He doesn't rule with a rod of iron or with a sword or with an army. He's on a preaching tour. And he travels around his nation. He goes to his people. He preaches to them. He preaches. He calls them to repentance. He preaches the gospel. He ministers to the sick. He casts out demons. He raises the dead. And the leaders of the nation hate him. They think they're running it. They don't want him. They hand him over to the Romans. This king of Israel is taken into a Roman barracks. He's stripped. They ram a a crown of thorns on his head to mock him. They beat him up. They fog him to within an inch of his life. They parade him through the streets of Jerusalem. They nail him to a cross, hang him up in public, and kill him. And nailed to the cross above his head, It said, a piece of paper, three different languages, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That's our king here in Numbers. It's one and the same person. This is the king. He didn't come to rule in pomp and glory. He came to save his people. And here, in this wilderness experience for the Israelites, their king is with them. They did not know that. And if they'd heard these verses, they would not have understood this. But this is King Jesus. And the king who came to be sacrificed to die for his people, not to rule in pomp and splendor as worldly kings do. That's the king. Why the shout? Why does he shout? Why do people shout? Well, all sorts of reasons, really. Sometimes we shout in surprise. Uh, Sometimes we shout in anger. Sometimes we shout a warning to somebody, watch out, it's hot, don't touch. Um, We shout in excitement at sports matches, all sorts of reasons why we shout. Would God shout with surprise? Indeed, the idea of God shouting at all sounds a bit strange. It seems a bit undignified to shout. We we all remember fondly Queen Elizabeth, and we would see her on the balcony and at public events and so forth, and she would smile to the people and she would wave, and it's all very gracious, it's all very dignified. Could we ever imagine her shouting in public or in private? But here is a shout. God is not taken by surprise because. God knows everything that takes place. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the fall of a sparrow. 
He knows when you're going to be born. He knows when you're going to die. He knows when everything is going to take place. So why a shout? Where do we see in Scripture that God shouts? Well, it would be good to look at two or three places. Uh, let me take you through to Psalm 47. Psalm 47 and verse uh, 5. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with God with understanding. God reigns over the nations. He sits on his holy throne and so on. Here is God as king reigning over the nations and there's a shout. Sin is dealt with. It's a shout of triumph over his enemies. Uh, we see a similar thing in, in Isaiah 42 and verse 13. Isaiah 42, 13. What does the prophet tell us here? The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail over his enemies. It's a shout of victory over sin, a shout of victory over his enemies. Another one, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 25. And verse 30, therefore prophesy against them all these words and say to them, the Lord will roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He will roar mightily against his fold. He will give a shout as those who tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. It's a shout of judgment. Against wickedness, it's a shout of victory over his enemies. One more shout, let's come to the New Testament. Paul, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You'll be aware it's the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, the return of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Ha, praise the Lord. Shout of victory and of triumph, of defeat over the enemy. Is that the same kind of shout that we have back here in Numbers? These people are in the wilderness. These are the Israelites on the remove from Egypt to Canaan. They haven't even got to the promised land yet. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. It's a harsh, tough time. Things not great. The shout of a king is among them. What's this shout? This isn't a shout over enemies. He's not defeating enemies in the wilderness here. I mean, later on he's going to deal with organs on, but not here. He's not dealing with enemies here, but here is a shout of a king among them. My friends, this is a shout of grace. 
This is grace. This is love. This is God giving a shout in heaven, these are mine, these belong to me. We've already considered the blood. God looks at these people and he sees no iniquity, he sees no wickedness. Here's a shout of grace, here's a shout of love over these people. And then we have to consider this, who hears this shout? Who hears it? The Israelites didn't hear it. They'd heard God booming down from the top of Mount Sinai. They don't hear this in the wilderness. So who does? It is a shout. Where is it uttered? Who hears it? It's in heaven. Is that significant? It's in the the halls of heaven, who hears? All the angelic hosts hear it. All the good angels hear it. The evil angels hear it as well. Do the saints hear it up there or not? I don't know. But God utters this shout in heaven. So they know and that the will of God in heaven will be fulfilled on earth, his good pleasure. This shout of grace that echoes through there is such a blessing for us and an encouragement. This is personal. As we considered last time, and when God looks at you personally, what does he see? Either you or the blood. It's the same for this shout. Understand that in heaven there's no time. When we are with the Lord in heaven, you can have face time with him, to put this in earthly terms, 24-7. You could be talking to God all day long, all night long, forever and ever and ever, and so could all the other, I don't know, millions or billions. And at the same time, ignore some of the other things. There's no time up there. He has full time. So, this shout is not only for his people, this shout is over your life. If you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, this shout is over your life. You won't hear it now. You never will hear it, but it's there. How do you know? Because God says so. You know it by faith. And I'll say a little bit more about that later. And the shout of the king is among. Why would I bother speaking about the word among? We know what it means. In some respects, it's the hardest word of all of these to get a grip on. I mean, you understand what it means here in the context. He's with the Israelites. And he is with them. They're in a wilderness. We've mentioned that already. It's harsh. It's tough. It's not fun. It's barren. It's not even the promised land. He's among them. He's not sitting up in heaven with his arms crossed, looking down on them and frowning on them. He's not on the sidelines with his arms crossed and looking, how are they going to get on? No. He's among them. He's with them. 
Perhaps it's a reminder to us of what we see in the first chapter of Revelation. You no need to turn to it, but you'll be familiar with it. You know that in Revelation chapter 1, John hears the voice of the Lord Jesus speaking behind him, and he turns around to see, and actually the very first thing he sees is seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there in the midst of the lampstands, the churches, amongst them. And this is at the start of Revelation, and that's important because in Revelation, as you know, well, bad things happen, it gets rough. And the Lord Jesus is making it very clear that as you go all through this, this judgment, 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 hard, tough time, Jesus is there in the midst of you. He is with you. Going through with you, he will take you through. Doesn't mean that you'll always be aware of it. We forget that. And more of this too. This is where a mum becomes difficult. He was with them, he is with them, and with you and me personally. So, we've got the king, we've got the shout, and we've got a mung. But what do we do with this? How do we apply this? And particularly that word among, we have, it sometimes is difficult for us to think that all these promises actually apply to me, you and me, personally. We struggle with that. Now, imagine this. You'd have to imagine hard. Uh, there's a knock on, the, on your front door one day, and you open the door, and lo and behold, there is King Charles, King of England. Hello. Uh, I'd like to come in and, and talk to you and get to know you. Thanks very much. So you take him into the front room and you sit down and you have a cup of tea. And then in comes the Prime Minister. Hello, I'd like to come and get to know you. Can I help? And then in, in walks the Chancellor of the Exchequer. I wish. And then you, you, and he wants to get to know you. And there they are, these, these people with immense power. And they come to spend time with you. And then at the end of the day, of course, they've got to go. But if that happened to you, wow. What a day that would be, wouldn't it? I mean, a red letter day, you'd remember that. Well, we don't have that. We have the God of the whole universe, God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they don't come and knock on the front door in the afternoon. They come in to you. They dwell in you. Now that's a very hard idea to understand or to comprehend. Now, Hugh read us these verses this morning, and I want to take us back to them again. Please turn with me to Luke, uh, no, John, John chapter 17. John 17. You'll be familiar with this, I'm sure, the high priestly prayer. But we need to let these words get a grip on us. John 17, um, verse 21. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. 
You've got that so far. The Father is in the Son. The Son is in the Father. So far, so good. Verse 23. I in them. The believers. So do you follow this? The Father's in the Son. The Son is in us. So you have got the Father and the Son in you. Now, and then the Holy Spirit as well. We've got to be careful with this. You know, when King Charles walked into your front room, that does make you the King of England. And if the Prime Minister walks into your kitchen, it doesn't make you the Prime Minister. So God in you does not make you God. But he's in you. For keeps. I'm a problem. We understand the words, but we don't comprehend it. That is to say, it's jolly hard for this to get a grip on us. We know it in our heads. That's our problem. But it doesn't sink down deep into us. Um, Fan will laugh. We were talking about this yesterday. Uh, I'm going to use the word bowels here. What matters is that the word of God gets down into your bowels. Excuse the expression. It's got to get right down deep inside you. I'm preaching to you. If I am just a talking head and you are just listening heads, that's not a lot of good. I mean, you, you get head knowledge. Well, that's fine. But it's got to be more than that. It's got to go from the head down into the heart, down inside you. It's got to get a grip on you. Knowing the words, ticking the boxes isn't enough. We need to be transformed. And the only way that happens is when the word of God, that is God, gets right inside us and gets a grip on us and transforms us. Another place to look. Turn back to Luke uh, chapter 21. Wrong, chapter 24. Uh, the, the two men on the road to Emmaus. I was talking about this with somebody the other day. We've got two men on the road to Emmaus. Now you know what's going on. Uh, they're distressed because the crucifixion's taken place and they were hoping that their Messiah would rise and would, would, would rule. And it's all gone wrong, it seems. Well, Jesus comes alongside them and he talks to them. Now what is strange is that he is, his identity is hidden from them. Don't quite understand why that's the case. I mean, these men, they're, they're disciples. Uh, presumably, they had seen Jesus before, and on the road, I, I, they'd be looking at him, they're talking with him. But in any case, they, they don't see, they don't comprehend who he is. That's strange. But then he opens up the scriptures to them. He opens the word to him. He takes them through the Old Testament scriptures about himself as Messiah. And then they come to Emmaus. And then they go in and they have a meal. And then Jesus breaks bed. Suddenly they see him. They see him. Wow, it's Jesus. And then he's gone. Now, look at what it says there in Luke 24 and verse 32. But it's, it's, but yeah, verse 32. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Did not our heart burn? 
Do our hearts burn when we hear the word of God? Is it simply head knowledge? It's good to have head knowledge. We need the head knowledge. But it needs more than that. Our heart has to burn in the way that the word of God is going to get right down into us and change us on the inside. That's the only way that you and I will really change as Christians. That's the only way that this fellowship is going to change. If the word of God comes into us individually and as a fellowship, such as get right down deep inside us and transform us, we'll be a different church, we'll be different people. Now, it's, it's God who initiates that. It's the Lord who runs all that. He's our king. But we've got something to do about that. How do we apply all this? I mean, two things. One thing is easy and one thing is hard. And this is the hard thing I'm talking about. The application. How do we apply this to ourselves? We talk much about witnessing, about evangelizing. Whom is the most important person that you need to witness to? Yourself. You need to witness to yourself. Speak the scriptures to yourself. Preach to yourself. I'm not a preacher. I'm a woman. Preach to yourself. Talk scriptures to yourself. Then the word will get down inside you. This is not madness. This is biblical. King David... Uh, when he was dealing with enemies at one point uh, the, the, the enemy had raided their camp taking away the women and the goodies and so forth and his men were going to stone him this was at Ziklag and we read that David encouraged himself in the Lord at Ziklag he didn't encourage himself in himself he didn't say oh no David you've done jolly well um, you've, you've, you've killed Goliath you can fight giants you've got a black belt in killing Philistines you're the chap no he didn't do that he encouraged himself and the Lord he spoke to himself he reminded himself of what God had done for him and that turned him around that lifted his heart um Come with it. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, uh, so I, well, you know, that's all very good. We sing those things, and it all sounds very nice and jolly good, but do we pant for them? Here's David talking to himself again. Psalm 42. Get there. Uh, verse 5. You know this. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why are you cast down? For whatever reason it is at this point, David's, there's a bit of the gloom here. Uh, and it comes to us all. But David doesn't think, oh, poor me, oh, boo-hoo, and so on. He speaks to himself. He gets a grip in himself. And it's not a, you know, I'm a toughie, I can do this. No, 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 no. He speaks to himself. Who's doing the speaking? It's the Lord in him speaking to himself. It's the new nature speaking to the old nature. You know, Christ dwells in you and me. So actually, there's two of us. The life I live, I, I, I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So there's two of you. There's you and there's Jesus. You're not a robot. He doesn't take you over, but he's there. Listen to him. Speak to yourself. Encourage yourself. 
We all go through these grisly moments in life. Here in Numbers, these people were in the wilderness. We've considered it's tough. You'll have had your wilderness experiences. People give you grief. The family gives you a hard time for a day, for a week, for a month, for a number of years. Work gives you a tough time. Life seems to give you a tough time. What do you do with it? Where's God? We feel despair sometimes. Has he left us? Be encouraged from what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in the second letter to Timothy, I think it's chapter two, he says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Himself? Because he's inside you. He's justified you by his blood. He's in you. He's not going to deny himself. Now we've denied him. He'll deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. When we have a rough time and it all gets on top of us and we come into despair, and we think, Where, why is God allowing this to go on? Why is this happening? Ah! Speak the scriptures to yourself. It doesn't necessarily give you the answer. It doesn't wave a magic wand. All the bad things don't go away. All the nasty people you know, don't start being nice to you. The situation can stay just the same. But you encourage your own heart, as David did at Ziklag. God loves you with the same love he's got for Jesus. Now, we struggle to comprehend that. We know what the words mean, but we don't believe it. Keep preaching it to yourself, saying it to yourself until it sinks in and tell yourself some more. Apply it. Here is truth. Apply this to your lives. Let God transform you by his word, by his truth. And when you're in the wilderness and you're struggling, Speak these scriptures to yourself. Do it this week. I don't know what's coming to you this week. You don't. You might have some ideas about it, but you don't know. It may be that come this you know, next Sunday. Well, what a week I had. Let me tell you. How did the Lord bring you through it? How did you let the Lord bring you through it? Or did you sink and crush under it? And if you did, there's no condemnation because you're under the blood. But be encouraged. Encourage yourself in the Lord. That's the tough bit of this message. To apply it to your own heart. The easy bit, that's what we're going to do now, is to sing about it. It's to rejoice. We can do that together now. We can lift our hearts and 